Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigowski, and we got a round two with Ian Koniak, the man, the king of enterprise sales from Salesforce, and now running his own coaching business. Nick, why should people listen? The first time that Ian and I recorded together, a prior episode, he was gracious enough to stay on after with me for two additional hours, and we had an incredible conversation. He, he's legitimately one of the best salespeople that I've ever spoken to, and, and he, he was kind enough to coach me for two hours. So I don't know. That, that's why people should listen. He's amazing. Listen to the show. Three, two, one. He's amazing. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. All right, Ian, welcome back to the show. You remember we start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. Let's get your three. All right, number one is focus on RGAs. For those people who are listening and don't know what that is, RGA stands for Revenue Generating Activity. 
This is how I prioritize my day. An RGA is either advancing pipeline, and that comes first. If you got pipeline, you need to focus on advancing or creation of pipeline. That's it. Those are my priorities. I focus on the critical few. Are they RGAs? If they are, I'm doing them and they're filling my calendar. If not, I'm going to defer it, which leads me to number two is time management. The principle I use is the four Ds. When something comes in and things come in every day throughout the day, I'm making a decision in that moment. What do I do with this thing? First D, do I do it now? If it takes two minutes or less, yes, I do it right now so I don't have to come back to it. Second D is defer it. If it's important, okay, I put it on my calendar. I don't throw it on a to-do list. I defer it. I put it right on the calendar to ensure that it gets done. Number three, if I don't need to do it, if someone else can do it, do I delegate it? That's the third D. And the fourth D is delete it. That's the vast majority is say no. If it's not an RGA, if it's not something that's going to help create or advance pipeline, nine times out of the 10, I'm just not going to do it at all. That's how I guide it. And the third takeaway is know your opportunity CSFs. CSF is critical success factors. Every company is different. Every product and service is different. Okay. If you're selling a complex product, you need to know what causes an opportunity to close. So in Salesforce, there's several CSFs that we use. Okay. Is there a compelling event? Do we know why someone needs to change and what is happening right now in their business that's requiring them to buy your product or service? Are we at power? Okay. Have we developed a business case and shown the ROI and have we engaged an implementation partner and show them a path to actually get the software implemented? Those are the five that we use. Every business is different. So when I'm looking at my RGAs and trying to advance an opportunity, I'm looking at, do I have those CSFs identified? Is this qualified? If not, those are my next steps is make sure that we are proceeding with those critical success factors that drive an opportunity home. So as an enterprise rep, you've only got a handful of opportunities and you've got to stay on top of those because you only get so many at-bats. However, a lot of reps, they spend their entire day staring at their Salesforce opportunity report and like stuck in pipeline reports and whatnot. And so do you have any tactics for managing your time and knowing exactly what you should be doing to advance your deals forward? Absolutely. So if you're staring in front of your computer at a pipeline report, you are not talking or reaching out to or connecting with customers. So in the opportunity world, and especially in the enterprise world where I'm playing, so I manage strategic accounts at Salesforce. These are the biggest accounts that we have globally. My territory is 20 million ARR by itself. And I have a team of 30 people that are selling into the accounts with me, the Slack AE, the, the MuleSoft AE, the Tableau AE. What I'm doing when I'm in that report is I'm filtering it to look at the largest deals. And then I'm looking at those CSFs, Armand, and I'm saying, okay, when was the last time we met with them? Are we at power? What's the highest level we've met with? Why do they need to change? Why are they buying this? And most importantly, what happens if they don't buy anything? What is the cost of staying the same? Have we quantified the cost? Do we know what's going to happen, what's really driving them to want to move forward. And if the answer to any of those is no, we don't have that information, we don't know why they're buying, we just know, hey, they called us, they want to evaluate, they're looking at other options, then I said, well, we need to connect with power, we need to get the root 
of what is really driving this and what's going to cost them if they don't make a decision and if they don't do anything. Because our biggest enemy is status quo, right? We're not losing to other competitors most of the time. We're losing to them doing nothing. And so I think the most important, simple advice I'd give you, Armand, is when you're looking at a lot of deals, you got to look at the biggest ones first. It's not about winning all of them. It's about winning the right ones, okay? Number two is we need to make sure that the right ones are qualified and that we're engaged in one of their top priorities, one of their key initiatives. If we can't map to something that they've said at the C-suite or high up is really important, then it's probably not going to take priority. And the only way you're ever going to find that out or get that information is if you engage with the folks that are actually in charge of executing those initiatives, which for me, it's so important to be engaged with power and to understand what power cares about and why they care about it. So I really, less is more when it comes to opportunity management. And I want to get to the truth. And the number one indicator of whether a deal is going to close or not is the frequency of the conversation and where that conversation is occurring, right? So if I know it's important to an executive and I'm in constant communication with that executive, most likely it will happen. And I'm going to put all my eggs in that basket and make sure we win that thing. I mean, the more that I talk to you and the more that I talk to salespeople, I'm starting to suspect that like most deals that salespeople work aren't real deals. Like they've got someone who's not at power and it doesn't really tie to an initiative, but it ties to pain that that person has. So the AE works and works and works the deal. They answers all these questions. They show four different demos. They answer a questionnaire. And then that person that they've been talking to goes to the executive who says, this isn't mapped to a priority. We don't have budget. And then the deal pushes, which really means it dies. And the salesperson is just spinning their wheels. Like, am I wrong in that hunch? And I guess answer that first. Yes, you're you're absolutely right. You're not wrong at all. And that's the battle that I was kind of, I came from selling copiers for 10 years. I was used to this high transaction activity, yields pipeline, yields results. And while that certainly is true in the sense where nothing happens without a conversation, it's about having the right conversation with the right person, with the right messaging and the right qualification questions. I mean, that's, that's the number one thing I did different is I wasted so much time trying to sell at the department level or the manager or director level and just seeing these deals that were so obvious to me that they needed just get shot down because I didn't understand the politics or the inner workings of how enterprises actually buy and how decisions are made. And when I made that fundamental shift to kind of make sure I'm focusing on power, yeah, maybe it took me 10 or 15 emails or reach outs to finally get them. But when I got them, it was a meaningful conversation. It was direct. They opened up about what they cared about. And I was you know, basically accelerated through through the deal cycle without having to go into this dark black hole of, of not knowing what's going on in the conversations. Because I'm talking to people that are keeping me in the loop that are frankly respectful and have that executive disposition where they, they know what is appropriate in terms of how you treat and how you communicate with vendors. So if I've invested all that time, they're going to keep me in the loop as to what's going on, where you don't always get that with someone who's an evaluator or even a champion that's not a real champion. So Ian, can we dig in on this a little bit more? Because so many times you'll get these awesome companies that you're stuck at the manager and director level and they'll sit there for three, four five months and I don't want to go over their head. What do I do when I have three or four ops that are just stuck at this level? Do I go around them? Do I try to get an exec to exec type of motion going? How do I break that mold of the stuck ops? My approach is normally to help people 
get what they want and, and treat them as innocent until proven guilty. Okay. When I say innocent until proven guilty, if they say they can get it done and they have a path to power and they're going to sell it internally and they are going to take care of it and then it's not going anywhere, then they're guilty. Okay. So you've got a guilty champion. They're not introducing you to people. Armand said he was gone and now he's ghosting me. Oh, he shows up to a meeting three weeks later. Sorry. I've been very busy. Then doesn't respond to my next six emails. Like, what do I say when I go to someone else? Let's say Armand's our controller, and now I'm like, all right, I'm going right to the CFO. What am I saying to the CFO? Am I referencing that conversation with Armand? Am I alluding to pain that I, you know, I'm pretending that I suspect might happen, but I've really learned from the controller? What's the approach there? I'm going to give you a story of a deal that we closed for 20,000 users where I had a champion in IT, and I use my air quotes champion, because he was a VP. He was a VP of applications. He was the guy who was in charge of everything Salesforce and everything add-on. And we worked together for six months. I drove down to San Diego. I met the guy for lunch and literally walked through a deck. He coached me on the deck and he said, this is the deck for the CIO. I'm like, let me present to the CIO. I was like, I got this. Don't worry. Presented the CIO. He said, we're going to do this. Silence. Nothing. Okay, called him back, texting. Hey, we have some stuff we're working on. We have other initiatives. Then COVID happens, okay? This was in February of 2020. We had a lot of momentum. Then COVID happens. Basically, he says, I'm sorry, we have other priorities. We can't take a look at this. And I had invested more than six months giving this guy the benefit of the doubt, okay? I can send you guys this email offline. I'm gonna have to redact some information, but I wrote to the COO. I found the COO on Google, and I saw an interview he did, a couple interviews that he did. I, I listened to those interviews. I took notes, and everything about what he was saying was mapped to what I was selling, okay? So I wrote this guy an email, and I said, everything you talked about in the CNN article is about employee engagement. Now, since this company has gone public, and they are worth several billion now, but at the time, they were still private, so I had to do my diligence, and I said, everything you've said about employee engagement, I am super impressed with. The reason I'm reaching out is because COVID just struck, and this is gonna be a big risk because your employees are now gonna have to work from home. We are pitching a enterprise global collaboration platform that'll let you stay connected with employees, we'll let them access information quickly, we'll let you disseminate news as it happens, and I was recently told by your IT department that this was not a priority. Before I give up on this, I wanted to get your insight because everything you're talking about is about employee engagement. And I really am curious how you're planning to drive engagement without having your workspaces that people are gonna to be together. This is what we're pitching. I'd love to get you on the phone. He says, call me at 6 p.m. I have five minutes. I end up talking to him for an hour on the phone, the CEO of the company. I had never met him before, okay? And he says, absolutely, this is a priority. Okay. He says, send me information. I want to see a little demo of, of what you guys were pitching. So I personally created six mini demos of all the things because when it's hot, you got to respond quickly. This was like a Thursday or Friday. My engineer was tied up. So I literally recorded all the things we were showing. He goes dark. Okay. I email him. I call him. I text him. Two weeks later, he said, Ian, I'm so sorry. We've had to move everyone from, and by the way, they apologize. That's how you know you've done a good job is when they apologize for not getting back to you. Because my philosophy is it's not pestering someone when I know I can help them. It's not pestering them when I'm in selling is in pursuit of their success, okay? I'm, I will pester you all day long if I know I'm gonna make you successful and your company successful. And I believe that and they will believe it too because they see how passionate I am. So 
I get to this guy, he apologized in his email. I'll never forget it. It says, Ian, I finally had a chance to go through your videos. This is exactly what we need. If you can work on the price of what you're saying, we can move quickly. I'm copying in my IT director. And the guy basically told him, work with these guys and ended up copying in. And he didn't get mad. He wasn't upset because I commended him on that email. And the whole time I had been asking him for this meeting that he couldn't get. So you know what? I wasn't going to leave anything to chance. I'm going to empower myself. And you know what? If you don't have cojones in sales, I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for saying that, but you need to go. You got nothing to lose. It's, it's a mindset of having nothing to lose. The only thing you already know if they're silent, that you're on track to lose. You already know if you're getting no communication, if you're getting no feedback, if there's no path to a deal, that you're going to lose it. So what have you got to lose by going for the executives, especially when you know you're helping and you've done your research and you can map back to what they care about? And that's a perfect story that can share how to do that. I want to dig in on the moment you got the call and then also like what happened when you met the IT director. So the guy says, great, Ian, you got five minutes at 6 p.m. You get on that call like what the hell do I say with only five minutes to go? First of all, I said, congrats on having a baby. My wife's pregnant too. So you know, when you're talking to a new executive, you always want to let the guard down. You want to jump in a pitch down, may say, I just want to say, I saw this about you and I really resonate. So I found out he was on paternity leave and my wife happened to be pregnant at the time. And I said, how did that go? How is it being a father? How many kids do you have? Like I wanted to build that bond from a genuine place. Okay. So even though he gave me five minutes, if three of those were meant talking about his family, you know what? He'll give me a lot more. So whenever you're talking to the executives, the first thing you do is you build a little bit of rapport in an authentic way. Second thing you do is you have to share your point of view in a quick, succinct manner. You don't go asking questions. You share your point of view and you say, I want to know how this resonates. I'd love to get your feedback and thoughts on it. And then you open up. Okay. Now here's where they mess up, right? When they start opening up, most sales reps will say, you know what? I can help with that. Here's how we're going to help with this. Here's what they hear the problem. Well, what I do a little differently is when someone says, well, we have to move everyone to work from home. The happy ear sales rep is going to say, great, well, we have a digital intranet that's going to help connect everyone and globally, that's going to be perfect. Well, what I said is, okay, well, when do you need to do that by? Okay. And how are you approaching that? Is it going to be globally? How many employees are you going to have to move? Okay, how are you going to be communicating with them? Do you have a digital platform where they can set up groups or teams or any kind of digital collaboration system? Have you thought about that? What about all of the central dissemination of information, right? All these things that we're basically pitching. I want to know how are they planning? And what I'm getting is, no, we haven't thought about that. No, we don't know what we're going to do. This is all new to us, right? I'm saying, okay, let me just ask you this. Do you think there's going to be a risk of turnover, with not having these offices and these physical connections in your space. Is that on your mind? It's like, yeah, I really am worried about that. I don't know if people are going to leave. I mean, this is all uncharted waters, Ian. And I said, let me ask you this. Okay, so people buy because they are risk averse. And I know that sounds like a paradox, but they buy because they do not want to risk missing out or losing something. And in this case, he is missing out everything about this company was their culture and specifically their workplace cultures. That's how they recruited. That's how they retained. That's how they sold is highlight that happy employees lead to happy customers. And I said, disconnected employees, disengaged employees, what's the risk if, if they're not engaged, you know, to your companies? Like, well, if they leave and they're not engaged, we can lose customers. We could be out of business. We're trying to go public. And this is something that we just can't risk. I'm like, well, if I can show you a way 
that really helps you drive engagement and show you the stats that we have for customers in our digital employee community, how important would that be for you right now based on everything else going on? He's like, you know what? That would be critical. And that's when he got into, okay, what does it cost? Tell me how it works. And I basically walked him through what we were pitching, walked him through the proposal. I actually sent him the proposal on the spot. Here's what we reviewed. You have your laptop, and that's why it turned into an hour. I basically pitched my entire deck to him, and he said, Ian, this is a little pricey. Here's how we buy. Here's how we work. Can we do something here? And like literally moved into negotiation. And then he backed up and said, You know, I really need to see how this works. I haven't seen a demo or anything. Can you can you record some stuff? And I recorded, I sent it to him, and that, and that led to that email a couple weeks later saying, We move quick, work with, with these folks. He just he was so heads down moving people to work from home that he I mean, he was basically firefighting. And, and frankly, that's that's another obstacle is people sometimes are firefighting, so they didn't have time to look at it. So when he finally did have time, he resurfaced and he said, yeah, this is a top priority. And it became their top priority. Um, the second question, I think, was the IT, the IT guy. What did he say? Well, at that point, he was like, okay, well... <laughs> He basically said, our COO wants this. So, and then he started actually shopping. And then we had to compete with, with a couple other people in the space. And we, sure enough, it, it got trimmed a little bit. It wasn't the same deal as original, but we, we ended up closing it and getting a nice six figure deal out of it. And, and it was, uh, it moved very quickly. I mean, it closed within two months versus I had been spinning my wheels for six or seven months with this other guy before. So when power is engaged, things move quickly. And when it's mapped to a priority, things move quickly. So those are kind of the two things that I really try and dig in on. And you've got to come prepared. You've got to know your product and why you're pitching and how it's going to help them. And what I come prepared with is the business impact and the current situation. Here's what so a lot of the conversation, Armand, was was about here's what's going on in the field. Because sometimes these executives don't even know how things are broken. They think they're fine, things get filtered by the time they get up to them. So I said, you guys have five intranets. You have 30 systems that you're trying to consolidate. You have employees that take two months to onboard. You and he was like, Oh my God. So so some of it was just kind of recapping. When I looked, when I showed him the proposal, my entire proposal was before I ever get into my solution, my proposals are starting with, here's where you want to go. Here's your vision. Here's your initiatives. Here's the challenges and pains which are preventing you from getting there. And here's how we're going to help. And what I call that help is, is the linkage section. So I literally walked him through, Hey, here's what's going on in your company. Here are your top initiatives right now. Would I, did I miss anything? Do you have anything? He's like, no, this is great. So I'm showing him I've, I've done my diligence. I literally had six or seven months of discovery that I can basically harp upon. One other thing that I do, which I really, really would encourage everyone to do, is I have a what we heard slide where I take quotes from throughout the company and I verbatim play those back. And basically it's all employees complaining about certain situations or what they're enabled to do. So it says it takes us two months to onboard our, our new agents. We have five intranets. No one reads our email distribution list. It all gets deleted. We invest in fancy things that no one uses. Like I had all these quotes and I shared and it's basically, it's not meant to embarrass them or humiliate someone. It's meant to show them, hey, things aren't working and here's what's actually going on. And more than that, it's meant to show that you understand their business as well as they do and that you have credibility in the solution that you're going to position. Ian, can you talk a little bit about how you talk about the competition? Because sometimes I get asked point blank, like, who are your competitors? And I've heard differing opinions about what you're supposed to say there. Or I'll be asked point blank, well, how do you compare to competitor X? Like, I don't want to be like... I don't know, trashy and be like, oh, Armand's horrible. He's he's the worst sales podcast host I've ever listened to. You should never go with him. But like, I also don't want to just sit there and lose the deal and be like, oh yeah, listen to these eight other podcast hosts. Like, what's your approach here? 
in a B2B environment, you want to say, look, whether you use ServiceNow or whether you use Oracle, or whether you use Microsoft, the key is that you make this change. But here's why I recommend doing it with Salesforce, okay? We are going to give you X, Y, and Z, which are going to be different than what these companies are doing, okay? It's not about bashing them or saying that you're better or they do things crappy. It's about we have these unique differentiators that are basically the only ones in the market that actually can do that. So if you come and show them why you're different, what's different, how it's different, and you educate them, The key is that you never bash your competition and you come in objectively showing the key differences. I like to use Forrester or Gartner. I like to use objective neutral industry case studies to show, hey, we do this really well and here's our strengths. Again, I'm fortunate where I work with an industry leader and I can go and most of the time be you know, a top leader in what we sell, but a lot of times we're double or triple the price. And for the customer, it seems like they're going to get the same thing for half the price. So at that point, I need to make sure I show them it's not the same thing. Here's why they're half the price. Here's what you're going to entail. And by the way, talk to these people who switched over and see what they were going through. So, you know, all this stuff gets muddled together in the customer's mind when they're evaluating, when they're shopping. My job is to clarify for them and give them insights and really be an advisor for them. Whether or not they choose me is irrelevant. Of course, I want them to choose me. Of course, I want them to win. But the the less you bash the competition and the more you focus on the customer needs, the more likely you are to actually win the deal. And the key is to show we understand your needs and our product helps you execute on your needs. And here's why these other products or services are not going to do this because they're missing X, Y, and Z. And and that's just a fact. So keep it factual, keep it objective, and keep it focused on where they're trying to go. And you should be fine winning probably. I I don't know when I lost uh, my last deal. I really don't know. I I can't remember. I lost once to Dynamics in 10 years. So I'm, you know, if you focus on the customer and where they're trying to go, you don't have to worry about the competition. Man, Ian, there's only so many guests where I'm like, we got to do a third and a fourth and a fifth episode, but I'm sensing it with you. This is seriously phenomenal. Thank you so much for coming on. We're running out of time and I promise I'd let you get to a nice Friday evening with your family. So we got to move to the final question. And the final question is this. We've talked about a ton of really great habits, things salespeople should be doing. I'm going to flip that on its head and ask you this. What's one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it's hurting them more than it's helping them? The worst habit I see is people running circles around a deal, okay? My philosophy is really simple. It's focus on what you can control. And what I see people doing is they stop working because they're circling and obsessing and just trying to close this one deal and they stop building their pipeline. They stop advancing their other deals, which may be earlier stage, and they just literally just devote 100% of their time. Now, if that's your only deal in your pipeline, okay, you know, you got to make sure it's closed. But the reality is, if you're focusing on RGAs every day and you let go and you're not attached to outcomes and you can go to bed at night saying, I've done everything I can and I'm not going to smother this client because they have to do their thing, right? You'll be fine. And, and, and it's really, I guess the, the bigger, the bigger habit or it's not one thing. It's, it's just being attached to outcomes, right? If you know you've done everything in your power and there's just some things out of your control, for example, like a board meeting that's coming up or like an internal meeting that they have to get the approval. Let go and keep working. Keep your business moving forward. People stop working and they start circling and that only hurts them for future months. So I try to be very consistent every year because I'm always working and I know that what I've done is in advancement of these deals. And if, if I'm at a point where I can't do anymore, I let go and I let the deal play its course. 
Uh, you can't smother and you can't run circles around deals. It's just going to hurt you in the long run. Beautiful. Ian, anything you want to plug before we jump off here? Yes, I'm plugging my coaching program because this will be launched very, very soon. Go to ianconiac.com. If you are a, a top enterprise sales performer or a good enterprise or even new to sales and you're looking to get your career to where you know it needs to be, if you're running circles, grinding and frustrating because you're just getting the same results and you don't know what to do, check out my coaching program. Get on the wait list. I'm going to have an online portal. I'm going to have group coaching and I'm going to continue to do some private, but it will be have limited capacity. So go to ianconiac.com, go to the contact page and put your information in or just send me a DM on LinkedIn and I'll get you information on my program because I'm going to be launching it January 1st. And in between, I'm still taking a few private coaching clients and I'd love to support you in your goal to be the best salesperson you can be. So looking forward to serving the sales community at a much bigger scale than what I'm doing right now on these podcasts. Ian, thank you so much for coming on. Everybody stick around for a 60 second recap coming up soon. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's moving up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how Zoom Info helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by Zoom Info's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox if I don't get a reply in two days. That means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two-day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time every time, you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from the episode with Ian Koniak include, number one, when you're stuck in a competitive situation, it's not always us versus them. Step number one is either way, you should do it. Step number two is clearly explain, this is where we're different, X, Y, and Z. Number two, your champion is innocent until proven guilty. And so here's the thing, don't go over your champion's head right away, but the moment your deal starts to slow down or information isn't properly being relayed to the executives that you need to get in front of, you can now go over their head. And that brings us to number three. When you do go over their head, make sure that you do not bash your original champion. Say nothing but good things about them because the moment you get reintroduced to them, it's gonna get really awkward. And then lastly, number four, share your point of view on the problems you could potentially solve for an executive. But then, once you hear the problem, don't stop and say, great, we can solve it. Ask three or four more questions. When do you need to do that? How many employees are affected? Do you think there's a risk of turnover? And so take that initial trend with three or four more questions and resist the urge to pitch early. All right, Nick, those are our four. Where can people help us? 
Well, audience, would you like to hear me and Armand breaking down best practices for discovery, for texting and sales, or for using video with your prospects? You are in luck. In the show notes, we've partnered with a number of our sponsors to do mini playbooks that you can only access if you follow the links in the show notes. Vidyard did a topic on video and sales. Scipio did one on texting. Gong, we did one on discovery. So check those out. There's a lot of really good stuff. We appreciate you all listening and see you next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes.